Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, New Living Translation. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armory so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's army so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will sit be, still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery um, arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Allison. Morning, everyone. Welcome uh, to uh, Twilliger Community Church on a very beautiful day. Ah, oh, God has given us a great day today, uh, as he has for a number of days in a row. They're beautiful, and so it's wonderful to be here in church today. Um, some of our people, of course, are coming and going uh, on, uh, in these uh, summer days. But others have come in, and uh, you're a guest here this morning, and we want to just say a very warm welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Some of you will know that the Triennial Conference has been going on these days in our own city. That's a gathering of uh, North American Baptist churches across Canada and the United States, about 400, 420 churches that uh, all come together. Uh, once every three years, and we've had some uh, inspirational speakers and good, good days together. Uh, so they've been busy days, but we're, uh, we're glad. Uh, it's just uh, wrapping up this morning. Pastor Norb, I believe, is there this morning and probably will arrive here at the service just at the tail end of our service as well. So uh, busy days, but uh, exciting days to see what God is doing uh, in churches all across the country and the United States as well. Well, uh, unless you're uh, an avid basketball fan, you may not recognize the name Yeo Ming. Uh, he is now retired, but uh, he is a well-known basketball player, uh, Chinese in origin. He's seven feet, six inches tall. Uh, and he played for the Shanghai Sharks, and then he came to the NBA and played for uh, the Houston Rockets. He is just one of 25 players in the history of the NBA who is over seven foot three inches tall. Incredible. How do you go up against a person like that? 
And it makes me think, what was David thinking when he went up against Goliath? Do you know how tall Goliath was? Goliath was nine feet tall, or to be precise, nine feet six inches tall. And uh, I think sometimes his head was in the clouds. You can almost see them in the background. He was so far up. He probably weighed 400 pounds, wore it pretty well given his height, and uh, his armor weighed 125 pounds. His spear was 30 pounds. Can you imagine facing a giant like this? To see a 10-footer in full armor must have been absolutely imposing. Yikers. Little old David, probably under six feet, he'd never been in an army before, but he heard this bellowing from the other side of the valley, and he went into action. God spoke to him and, uh, and gave him the heart to go up against Goliath. Sounds like a pretty ridiculous move, and everybody knew it, that it was crazy, but uh, nobody else was willing to go. Uh, he's just a kid, but God is putting it into his heart that he could do this. You know, it's tempting, I'm sure for David, it was tempting for him to try to match Goliath. Uh, you're in a suit of armor. Uh, I'll get myself a suit of armor. Uh, you have a helmet, I'll get myself a helmet. You have a sword, I'll get a sword. It was tempting, and yet at the same time, uh, David had taken the approach that he had to be who he was. If he had taken the approach that he needed to be who Goliath was, he would have played right into the Goliath's uh, giant's big hands, and he would have been skewered like a shish kebab, armor and all. But David uh, took a different approach. He fought the way he was used to fighting, because he knew how to fight. He just had to fight his way. He chose the armor that worked for him, and he could see what he was up against, and so he made the right choices. Now, friends, we've been talking about our battle with the enemy. We fight an enemy, we're calling the enemy the spiritual mafia, whose troops are far more capable and lethal than the Philistine giant Goliath. Now, I don't know, I don't know how, none of us know how tall they are, how much they weigh our enemy, because that's not how we measure. There is a spiritual battle, and one of the reasons that the, they are so hard to fight is because we can't see our spiritual opposition. If the Lord just opened your eyes for 60 seconds to see the spiritual world and we could actually see it with our eyes, the size and the ranks of the spiritual enemy, we would feel like we are up against Goliath. And I think the Lord keeps us from being intimidated by not being able to see some of these things. If we could see General Satan, his cosmocrats, their lieutenants, the foot soldiers, we would quickly lay aside our own armor and we would run to the armor of God to protect ourselves, just like David resorted to combat that was familiar to him. Well, we have our biblical scanners on these days. Uh, and we're looking at the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Allison read that passage for us. Uh, uh, 
we have been studying, if you're a guest, we've been studying uh, the book of Ephesians for seven months, and we're just coming to the conclusion of it. Pastor Adam, uh, if you were here last Sunday, was such a blessing as he underscored verse 14. He just took the 14th verse. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So Paul has been teaching us about the enemy. Paul has been teaching us about the enemy. It's good to learn about your enemy so you can have some sense of how to stand up to him or to them. The Bible calls us sheep over and over again, right? Psalm 100, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Interesting that animal label that we get. We are sheep. We are like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep can't defend themselves. They're not all that strong. They're not all that bright. I've never been to a circus, I don't know if you have, where the circus master says, we have trained sheep in the center of the ring. It just doesn't happen. Sheep don't train easily. The Lord didn't say we're lions or cougars or bears. He called us sheep. And he realized how defenseless we are in the midst of opposition. But here in Ephesians 6, we learn that the sheep, no less, are in a war. We're, we're on a battleground. Wow. You mean sheep are in a war? We would say, yes, lions and cougars are in a war, but not sheep. How do sheep make out in a war? So that's what makes this passage really stand out. We hear about this enemy in all his cohorts, and they're strategizing against us, the sheep. It makes us think that we've got to get stronger, that we've got to get like Popeye, that we've got to eat more spinach. We might be tempted like David to put on our own armor to do battle. How do I put on my own armor and I, I get nervous? Wait, not our armor. The richness of these verses is that although we are just sheep, we can stand. We can stand. How do we stand? We stand and resist when we put on the armor of God. David chose God's armor, which just happened to be five stones and a slingshot. Because that's what David knew. Because that's how God had prepared David. We choose God's armor, which happens to be just right for sheep who are in a spiritual battle. He has just the right armor for you. Please remember, whatever you're up against right now, he has just the right armor for you. Ephesians 6.10 doesn't say, go run and put on your own armor. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm. You see, it's because of this invisible war that we're fighting that requires protection from God that we don't have in ourselves. How do we fight an enemy that you can't see? You can't see how big they are. You can't see what they're fighting with. You can't see where they're coming from. I mean, you could never pick Satan out of a crowd. Unless he wanted to show himself, you would never know who he is. That's what you're fighting against. So we need an armor that can't be seen. Because we have an invisible foe. 
When we get to a warfare passage, such as we read this morning, we usually think in terms of physical strength. But this, again, isn't a teaching on our own strength. Rather, this is an inverted picture. It is the strength within us, within sheep, within lambs. It's an armor that is within that is powerful and strong. And the beautiful unlocking of this truth comes from the armor of a Roman soldier, no less. And as you know, Paul spent two years under house arrest with a Roman soldier handcuffed to him. So for two years, he could study these soldiers who were the crack troops of Caesar's finest. And he looked at their outfit day after day, and in the process, God gave him some metaphors. He saw the soldier's belt, and he saw the breastplate, and he saw his helmet, and he saw his boots, and he saw his shield, and he, and he saw his sword. And, he, and Paul thought about those components of a Roman soldier's uniform. And he began to have some spiritual insight about this. This is how a Roman soldier is protected. But how is a sheep protected? How does the follower of Christ receive protection? Pastor Adam richly irrigated that the first two pieces last Sunday. And I'll just take the next two in verses 15 and 16. But the belt of truth in verse 14 is the truth of his word. It's the truth of who Jesus is. It's, it's also the truthfulness of living. It's telling the truth. It's uh, being truthful. Uh, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but it's living out our life with integrity and truth and the truth of God's word filling us. I mean, what can Satan do with the truth? He can't stand against the truth of God. He can't stand against the truth of God. Then there's the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. Satan comes to a screaming halt when a sheep receives the new life of Jesus Christ. We call it salvation. We've been declared righteous. It's not our declaration. It's the Father's declaration that through his Son, we're righteous. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. We're righteous because of the death of Jesus Christ and the blood that was poured out for us and the fact that we have received that work in our own hearts and life. And so Satan has to come to a screeching halt when he comes face to face with the righteousness of Christ and his blood that was shed for us. That's our righteousness now. And so we put on the cloak of righteousness, the Lamb of God that was slain for us. And that's a great protection to remember you are a child of God. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you. You have the righteousness of Jesus in your life. Not on your own merit, but on the merit of Jesus himself. Now the third piece of equipment is the boots, or the shoes of peace. If you go to the footlocker, or the running room, or the uh, Nike store, you, you, or wherever, you find a wide selection of shoes for whatever you want to do. I mean, there's a running shoe for everything. Uh, tennis shoes, volleyball shoes, you name it. They ask you, what are you looking for? And they are all quite specifically designed. And it helps to have the right shoe. Uh, like you, I've probably, uh, I've found a, a company that I like their shoes. And so uh, I just keep going back and buying the same brand of shoes over and over again because they work for me. And I'm not on commission, but they, they work for me. And I, I love them. But you have to buy the right size. I bought a pair of running shoes the other day that are just a tad on the small side. 
What a mistake that is. They are most uncomfortable. Uh, the soldier needed the right footwear. Can you imagine a Roman soldier going barefoot? Imagine how vulnerable they would be in a battle. Just have to slice off a couple toes and that soldier's done. He's, he's out of commission. What would a soldier wear? Well, the Ro Roman soldier wore boots that were called caligae. Uh, one commentator describes them as uh, heavy sandals with soles made of several layers of leather, averaging about two centimeters thick, studded with hollow-headed uh, hobnails. And then they were tied by leather thongs halfway up the shin, and they were stuffed in the wintertime with wool or fur uh, to protect against the cold. These boots, caligae, were built to prevent sliding. You, you had to have good traction as a soldier. I read about one soldier in history, uh, way back in that time, that didn't have the right shoes. And he was fighting on pavement because the Romans had paved some of the roads. And he had, he had like we have uh, spikes in our, in our shoes. And he was on pavement. And, of course, he slipped. And they fell. And the story goes that uh, because he had all the heavy armor on, he couldn't get up quickly. And the enemy came along and finished him off very quickly. Verse 15 says, For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. A good, a good boot helps you be ready for whatever is coming your way. Uh, sometimes we watch our CFL teams trying to find the right shoes, shoes with the best traction. Sometimes it's the Grey Cup, and sometimes it snows during the Grey Cup. And here you are, you're watching these, these uh, football players changing shoes all over the place. They're, they're changing shoes because they're trying to get a shoe with the best footing uh, for the conditions. The readiness that Paul writes about gives us the picture of our boots firmly planted on solid ground. It's like a quarterback who's got to have good footing. He's got to make sure that his, his shoes are holding him snug as he gets back to launch the ball. Or you're on the defensive line. You have to trust your boots to hold you against the, the, the opposing people that are, that are coming in on you. Where does good traction come from as you protect yourself from the enemy's attack? I don't know if you've thought about this, but this is, this is, we're so grateful to Paul. It comes from the boots of the gospel, and it's called peace. Peace in your heart gives you stability and traction. Peace in your heart gives you stability and traction. How do we have peace in our hearts? Well, it, first it comes through the good news of the gospel. Yes, when you come to faith in Christ, one of the prevailing changes that come to your, comes to your life is the, in the area of peace. And, and God just brings a settledness to your life. It's such a gift. It's, it's the beautiful gift of peace. Uh, take a look at Romans 5.1. Uh, maybe memorize this verse. It's an awesome verse. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. You know, that's the most beautiful gift that God gives us. Just a sense of deep peace. That the relationship between God and us is such that we know that our sins are forgiven and there is peace in our hearts. 
as far as the east is from the west, our sins have, have been forgiven. And may I remind you that life apart from Christ has no deep peace. Probably, probably everyone is aware of this disconnect to some degree. Because people look for this peace all over the world. It's just around the corner. It's just one thing more. It's just another experience. It's just something sensational in my life. It's just another acquisition, and on and on and go. But really, when you boil it all down, peace is what people are looking for. The, the peace that only God can give to us. And when, when a person finds peace with God, it's wonderful. I've often heard people say, why didn't I know about this before? And it is a powerful, protective wall against the enemy. Because the enemy wants to get it and say, well, I'll try this. Uh, have you tried this? Uh, can I send you over here? Can you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And he, he leads us down the garden path, but never with that sense of peace in our hearts. Because uh, when you have the peace in your heart, you know what you have. It's the best gift ever. It's the best gift ever. Peace with God. The peace of God in your life, I mean, is absolutely priceless. Knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that your sins are forgotten through Jesus Christ, it just doesn't get better than that. So when our feet are snug and comfortable in the boots of God's peace, we don't slip and slide trying to corral every new and better thing the enemy tries to lure us with. And oh, the Lord knows that there's so many things that are just coming in on us all the time that the enemy tries to lure us with. But we can stand firm. This is the peace of God. It's the peace of God which is filling my life. It's the peace that Jesus brings when he enters our lives. It is having peace with God. I wonder if Paul was thinking of that in Philippians when he wrote, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. That he had a peace in his heart, regardless of his his status in life. Now, I think there is another peace which we could call the peace of God. I mean, there is peace with God, but I also think there is the peace of God. Jesus said in John 14, 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. So God gives us his peace as we journey through this life. And we're mindful of Jesus. For example, when he was in the back of the boat and the storm came up, he was so peaceful in, in the midst of the storm. And when he awoke, he dealt with the raging sea. In the Old Testament, this peace was known as shalom. It simply means wholeness or soundness or welfare. And so God gives us shalom peace as we make our way through a, a troubling world. I uh, did the funeral service for a lady uh, two or three weeks ago uh, who, uh, when she was in her teens, tweens, she uh, escaped from 
uh, Hungary, and this is during the, the, the war in the, in the 40s, uh, late 30s. She uh, escaped from Hungary, and uh, she was hidden under uh, a hayload of, of hay. Somehow she tucked herself in there, and, uh, and she got through, and the soldiers didn't see her, and, and she, she was safe. But they testify of the peace that was in their hearts. And she talks about the peace that was in her heart. This shalom peace. She made it through harrowing experiences, but the peace of God was just keeping her. And, and that's how when we go through the difficult seasons of life, the shalom of God keeps us and strengthens us. Paul says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What guards your mind? What guards your heart? There's nothing like the peace of God. If we're followers of Christ, we have peace uh, with God because of the work of Christ. But sometimes as followers, we lack the peace of God because of our sin, because of our disobedience, maybe because of our neglect, because we have chosen to take the reins into our own hands in a particular situation or in a particular season of life. So we may be facing difficult times in our lives and we're struggling to experience the shalom of God. What does our worrying and our fretting do? I mean, it, it may cause us to want to run away. It may make us irritable and difficult to live with. And maybe God brought you today just to hear this truth, to reopen the lines of communication and say, Father, in this season of my life, I need your shalom. I need your shalom. I've had my hand on the steering wheel far too long and I know who you are and I know I can trust you I've learned that and it's time to hand that steering wheel back to you whatever you want that's what I want can you say that whatever you want that's what I want how did that go again tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done and then you'll experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The shalom of God is a beautiful traction for every one of us. It's amazing what we can go through when we have the shalom of God in our hearts and lives. The enemy throws all kinds of stuff at us. And life deals all kinds of difficult cards for us. And yet the boots of peace keep us, keep us firm, keep us from sliding all over the place and losing our balance. It's God's gift to us. It's God's beautiful gift to us. So if you're missing the shalom of God these days, let me just gently call you back to something the Father wants you to have. Just say to him, I'm your Father and... Uh, I'm yours, Father, and I, I always want what you want. I surrender myself to you. You lead me, and I'll be careful to follow. And then you'll have his shalom. 
When you surrender your heart, you'll have his shalom. So we have the belt, we have the breastplate, we have the shoes, and this morning, uh, the shield of faith. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So the shield of faith. The Romans uh, had two kinds of shields. One was a small shield, which the soldier used uh, kind of on his forearm, and he had the sword in the other arm, so it was, it was good for him to be flexible. He could go into hand-to-hand combat. Uh, it was easy to ma- manipulate. It wasn't too cumbersome, and so uh, that was often how he would battle. But there was a bigger shield that no doubt Paul is referring to in this verse. It was probably four feet high, two and a half feet across, It was made of two layers of laminated wood. It was covered with hide. It was framed with iron. And the hide was soaked in water prior to battle so the the arrows could be extinguished as they fell directly onto the shield. The, The enemy would dip their arrows in some kind of flammable substance, like a tar, and then light the arrow and fire it up into the air and it would hit the shield, and it would burn the shield unless the hide was wet. So as a soldier, <coughs> watching all of these arrows coming, the, the shield was, was big enough to crouch behind, so you could get behind it as you saw these volleys of arrows coming your way, you could get behind it, and uh, the flaming arrows would hit the shield, and they would be snuffed out. Now, it's not hard to imagine... That this is the picture that Paul has in mind as he sees us involved in a huge battle. That the enemy uh, launches all kinds of arrows our way. And they're the arrows of temptation and uh, strategies, uh, the methodologies that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. They are the deceptions, all of those things in an attempt to bring us down. It's his strategy that if one arrow doesn't work, the other one will. What are the flaming missiles that the enemy sends into our backyards, into your life? Well, kind of as that picture shows, he has a lot of choices. He has a lot of choices. We know the names of some of those arrows. And I think the one that's the most prominent is the arrow of discouragement. He sends that one the most. Anyone had an arrow like that recently? It came into your backyard and you were discouraged. It sucks the life out of you. Clearly, it's one of his most popular arrows, the arrow of discouragement. Um, In a study not too long ago, over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he or she exhibits, not even how much physical pain that person is in, and nothing to do with being rich or poor. The most dangerous factor is a person's sense of coming to that state of hopelessness. The person without hope, they cannot see any hope for the future, is the most likely candidate. We cannot live without hope. So what does the enemy do? Well, he just keeps firing. He just keeps firing the discouragement arrow until we feel hopeless. Wow, 
one thing after another. Lord, where are you in the midst of this? The reality is, as Scott Peck put it so well in The Road Less Traveled, is life is hard. Life is hard. All of life's music is not in perfect harmony. What starts out to be a symphony becomes filled with discordant, uh, discordant uh, notes. And the, the fairy tales of our childhood kind of mislead us. When the unexplainable descends upon us, we wonder, what on earth is God doing? Where is God when we're hurting so much? And we start to look for answers in the wrong places. That's the deception of the enemy. There's the arrow of fear. One fellow asked the question, what are your two biggest fears in life? And he was having a discussion with the group. And everybody listed their fear, and so did he. And then he said his biggest fear was the fear of dying, and the second biggest was the fear of living. Well, that's pretty much got it. People are afraid to die, but they're also afraid of the things that happen in the course of living. And the, the enemy sends all those arrows of fear our way. And we can be laden down with fear. And then there are the flaming arrows that come to us that look like shame and guilt and confusion. We seem to be confused these days about our identity, about who God made us to be. We have arrows that land in our backyard of pride and lust and greed and suspicion. I mean, what is the shield we need when these flaming darts come our way? Up with the shield. Up with the shield. What is the shield? It's faith. It's faith. Uh, and, and maybe to get a hold of that a little better, we should use another word, which is trust. The shield of faith is the shield of trust. Lord, as I walk through this valley, I trust you because I know who you are. I trust you to keep me from stumbling. Lord, you know I can't protect myself. I'm weak. So in faith and in trust, I come asking you to put your shield around me and help me walk through this season in my life. I trust you to guard my tongue. I trust you to guard my mind. Lord, I'm so prone to worry I could get anxious so easily. Help me to trust you to see me through this time. Protect me from the flaming arrows. Extinguish them. I trust you through the things that are coming my way. I trust you when I'm in a situation that tempts me to the core. I trust you to guard my tongue and guard my eyes and guide my hands and guide my feet and my mind and my heart and my soul. Lord, would you put your shield and protect me from all these incoming missiles? What does faith do? Uh, it just helps us to see a little more clearly how God is working and carrying us through. We put on the armor of God. And one of the important pieces is faith. But not just faith in anyone, but faith in God. Faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Faith always depends upon its object. I mean, you can have little faith in thick ice and you'll survive if you walk on it. You can have great faith in thin ice and you'll drown. It's not the amount of faith, it's the object in which you place your faith. 
We place our faith in God to see us through. You open your heart to trust a good, good father. Oh, and that's such a basic understanding of who God is, that he's a good, good father. Even when the arrows land in your backyard, you have a good, good father. And even though I can't understand what's happening, my trust is in the father. Arrows come from all over. I mean, you would think that they would never come within the family of God, right? But sometimes that happens too. They're, these are the difficult arrows because they catch us off guard. They come within the family of God. The enemy has a long history of using those tactics in the family of God. Well, of course he would. If he could confuse a whole church, uh, there's a target that will impact a lot of people and confuse a lot of people. I mean, it's like a seminary. If you think the life of a seminarian is just like stepping into heaven, think again. I mean, we enjoyed our days in seminary, don't get me wrong, but there is a lot of opposition in a seminary. And it's not always up front, and it's not always noticeable, but the enemy would love to create tension and sprinkle some error into truth, confuse and take away passion. I mean, just do that in the midst of a seminary. Well, of course, these are the future leaders. These are the future pastors. These are the future missionaries of, uh, 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 th that are coming our direction. And if you can land a missile into the very fabric of their hearts, that's worth a lot of points. So pray for our seminaries. And I, I, I say that out of real appreciation and gratefulness for our seminaries. Very much so. And we've been hearing at our triennial conference the, the good things that are happening in our two seminaries, which are part of the North American Baptist Conference. We have a seminary in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and a, and a seminary, of course, just down the road here at Taylor. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be effective to get people to doubt God's goodness? Wouldn't it be effective to get people thinking, God's not really involved in his world? He doesn't care? Maybe he's not even there. Wouldn't it be effective to create a situation where people get disappointed by God or discouraged that he doesn't do anything, that he's not stepping into the situation? I mean, how many churches have been negatively impacted because of the arrows of distrust and suspicion and power and pride? And the old enemy hands us a bow and arrow and he dips it in tar and he just... He, he just gets our hand on the, on, the arrow, on the bow and he just helps us let it go. And it lands over in the backyard of somebody else in the family of God and half wounded they run to their friends and before long a barrage of missiles are, uh, missiles are going the other way. And Satan's in the background with this devilish grin because he loves it. So Paul says, put up your shield of faith. Do you recognize that incoming arrow? Have you prayed about that? Do you have discernment on that? I know what that is. Remember this little guy, David, staring up at Goliath, nine foot six inches tall? How did David defeat him? He rejected falling into the trap of fighting as you might expect him to fight with conventional weapons, return fire when fired upon. 
If somebody hates you, hate them back. If somebody is prideful, show them what you've got and that you're not going to be outdone. But how do we really fight? Paul says, fight with peace. Have a peace in your heart. That'll take you down the road. Fight with peace. Fight with faith. That's different, really different, and it will get different results. It'll get God's kind of results. And know what? It it works. It works. So, friends, my time is up. Uh, We have four pieces on now. Two more next week. Pastor Adam's back. We have the belt of truth, uh, the truth, uh, uh, integrity, God's word. We have the breastplate of righteousness, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the shed blood of Christ. Satan cannot win against what, what Christ has done. We have the boots of peace, peace with God and the peace of God, that shalom peace. And we have the shield of faith. Trust in a good father, the kind of trust that extinguishes the impact of the flaming arrows of the enemy. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, our God, Jesus, our Lord, We are but sheep in a huge battle. And we are being reminded by your word today that we are protected sheep, that you've given us the tools to win the war. We might be tempted to think that we've got to do it ourselves. But Lord, when we feel that intimidation, it's just a reminder for us to run to you put on your armor. So give us eyes and give us ears of discernment to understand the battle that rages. Lord, uh, some of your children desperately need your peace today. Some of your children desperately need your peace today. I pray that you'd hear their cry. Some of your children are walking through the darkest valley ever. Help them today to raise the shield of faith to combat the enemy. Father, the enemy would keep us from walking in freedom and joy, but you give your sheep abundance. You give your sheep joy and peace and grace and life. So we receive it today. We receive your faith. We receive your peace. We receive your joy. And everyone said, Amen.